Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Healthy, Fit, and Pain-Free Podcast. I'm your host, Doc T, and welcome to Doc T Time. So excited about today's episode. Uh, we have Robin Witt here with the Better Institute. We just had a conversation the other day and super excited to get her expertise on everything and all things moms today, because obviously I'm not a mom, so I'm going to be taking plenty of notes. So a little bit about myself and Health Bit and Pain-Free Podcast. We are a podcast to bring you easy, usable, no BS advice to improve your overall health and wellness, health and wellness to get you out of pain, gets you to lose weight, gain strength, everything you need to have overall functionality, and again, implementable advice. So a little bit about myself. I am Dr. Tyler. I am a doctor of physical therapy. I am also a health coach and co-owner of Inner Strength here in Robinson and now the South Hills of Pittsburgh. So a little bit about Robin here. Uh, I met Robin. I actually... Uh, was first introduced from a friend of mine to Rob of the Better Institute. Him and I had a very good conversation. Awesome guy. And really throughout the conversation, Robin got brought up quite a bit because of the population we deal with. If you guys don't know, a lot of our clientele, not all, but a lot of it has to do, um, a lot of our clientele is middle-aged women. um, And most I'd say about 75 or more percent are moms. And so Robin's name obviously came up quite a bit. And I just had to get Robin's email right after that to get a hold of her. Robin and I sat down. We had a beautiful 45-minute conversation that had to go longer. So we, uh, we decided to bring her on the podcast today. So Robin, welcome. Thank you and, so much, Tyler. I'm excited to be here. Yes, yes. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Well, first of all, again, thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about this. I love your motto and our motto is to get people feeling better. And I think that we collaborated, like you said, and it went great and I'm excited to further the conversation. So a little bit about myself. I am a licensed professional counselor. I've been in the field for about 14 years now, uh, working with the Better Institute for the last three and a half I serve as the director of relationship dynamics there. And a lot of the work, as uh, you mentioned, is with women, in particular moms. And I love the idea of women supporting women in all facets of life. And that is what I get to do through through my work there. So what you're saying is you have no idea what you're talking about. None. None at all. We're going to wing it today. Awesome. Awesome. Great. I'm so excited for winging it today. So. Very cool. Very cool. So as I mentioned, a lot of our, uh, a lot of our members here are middle-aged women, a lot of moms, grandmoms, uh, whether they're new moms, seasoned moms in the middle of moms, <laughs> um, and you yourself being a mom and, you know, me as a, as a husband and as a father, I, it's, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting dynamic to see how dads and moms navigate parenthood differently. And so really to gain a better aspect, what are, what would you say are the biggest and really the most frequent challenges faced by moms today, whether young or old? Yeah, that's a great question. And I love that you just noted the seasons of life. The things that affect women tend to stay consistent across those seasons, whether you're a grandparent or a mom postpartum with a newborn at home. What I hear a lot from women is the need for self-care. They feel 
whether it's guilty or there's just not enough time in the day to take time for themselves, which leads to elevated stress levels, frustrations with their spouse, and possibly like easily being irritated with their kids. So self-care being being a big thing that I talk about with the women I, I work with. Very cool. So I'm going to, so you said something there that stuck out to me and I'm going to ask a very selfish question right now. What is it about the spouse that becomes kind of the frustration? Do you feel from what you hear from how you, your, your own perspective, but then also the diet, you know, the communication between you and a client or, you know, someone that you were talking with, where do you kind of see that disconnect with the spouse? Yeah, that's a great question. So what I see is that men and women perceive things differently. Men tend to be problem solvers. So when the wife would come to the spouse saying they feel tired or they feel fatigued, or there's not enough hours in the day, men tend to problem solve. Well, why don't you get up earlier? Well, why don't you delegate some tasks? And that's not really what she wants to hear. She wants the hug. She wants the, I hear you, honey, that sounds really hard. So she wants met with support and emotional connection, whereas the guy tends to jump in with, let's solve that problem. So if the partner could give more of a listening ear, more of a validation of feelings, and then back that up with support, physical support of, hey, I hear you want to get to that workout class in the morning. Why don't I get up with the baby tonight so that you feel rested enough to get up for your 7 a.m. 7 class? So a partnership of working together, but letting her solve that problem on her own. She's really coming to you for support, a listening ear, a hug, hold her hand, wipe her tears not to actually solve the problem. I don't know about anybody else out there, but I just took a thousand notes in my head. <laughs> good. Your wife will thank you. Um, no, that's a very good point. Um, I definitely, again, this is, this is for everybody, but this is as much as for myself as everybody else, just to gain a better understanding. And it's interesting you say that because I do, I see that so much, especially with my wife and I, and you know, other, other people as well, even members here, um, it's funny. Sometimes there will just sometimes there will be a uh, a rant fest going on about husbands, and that's always kind of the thing. You know, we we do we like to be the warriors who are the hero who you know flies in, you know, takes away the damsel in distress and and saves the day. And that's not really how it works as much as we would like it to. So, yes. very cool. So what? Would, okay, so. That was a good thing for me. What would you say for, and I don't want to dive too far down this, but what would you say in regards to, you know, guy, we need to realize that, okay, moms more want the feels, they want the emotional support, they want um, just to be heard. What would you say, because I, I know, and I ask this because I know like with my wife and I, where that disconnect can really get us is. I can kind of understand she's being that way. However, I can be stubborn and wanting to fix the problem. However, I know that my wife, knowing that miscommunication, it makes her upset. It makes her a little bit stressed out with it. What can moms do or even wives do to better close in that miscommunication from their side of it, do you feel? Yes, good question. We need to speak up. So I think sometimes we, one, feel guilty that we need the help because we should, right? We should be able to keep up with the housework and work a full-time job and fit in our fitness routine. But that's not always the reality. So we want to, as women, need to watch who is imposing these shoulds on us. It's often us. It's often ourselves. 
So we need to work on stopping that. And what we can do instead is realize we can't always do all the things. So turning to our spouse or our partner to say, hey, I need some extra help here. Could you pick up the groceries this week? Could you help with a load of laundry? So if we ask for help, that should hopefully be met with, sure, honey, I'd love to help you with that. Or yeah, I could fit that into my schedule, no problem. So I think if your spouse comes to you for help, know that it probably wasn't easy to, for her to ask you for that. And then just to reciprocate and try to help out where you can without making her feel guilty that she wasn't able to juggle all the things this particular week. I like that. There was a, I listened to a podcast once where the guy talks about we should on ourselves too much. And yes. I, and uh, it is funny. We, it's, we like to blame other people, but it's mostly us that creates the problems in our lives, right? It's crazy. Absolutely. We're responsible for everything that we do. <laughs> um so yeah so gonna go a little off script here, off script here in a sense because i really like what you said there you mentioned the term guilty and guilty is something that we come across quite a bit with our members and with moms you know we will take calls we, we take calls to really try to learn more about people and how we can help them and their individual needs and guilt comes up a lot embarrassment comes up a lot but one question i have is how to how can moms manage guilt around the discrepancy of personal growth and being selfish? Yeah, that's a tricky one. I think first of all, we have to be willing. We have to be willing to see it. There's a gap in what we are perceiving to be true, and we need to look at that. And so part of this is the comparison trap we put on ourselves. So it goes back to the shoulds, back to the comparisons. What is social media showing us? Like we should be able to do these things. If we can't, we then feel guilt over it. That's just not valid. And when we're taking good care of ourselves, which kind of goes in that road of self-care, which, which I'm sure we'll get into as we go along today, is if we're caring for ourselves and making time for ourselves, there's really not space for guilt because our bodies and our minds are physically well and guilt doesn't fit in that picture. So it's this irrational thought or this irrational idea of what the, the mom should be. And that's just not accurate. We need to fight back on that, but we need to be willing to see it, right? Like we can't change something we're not willing to see. Mm -hmm. It's so it's interesting you say that. So I'm going to follow that up with a lot of times what we hear is, uh, so the guilt typically comes from is either you have two husbands, you either have those who come raining down hard on the wife because she wants to grow, or you have the one that says, Oh, honey, you're fine. Just the way you are. You don't need to do that. You don't need to grow. You don't need to go to the gym. What is like, what is your response to that? And have you had experience with that in the past with the people that you've talked with and the clients that you've, um, you know, that you've communicated with, have you seen this come up quite a bit and how have you given them solutions for it? Yeah. I like the way you classify the two different spouses, the two, <clears throat> they should be the support systems and they're not often that. And so I, I encourage the woman to look at herself independently so independent of your husband's position or stance on this, independent of your husband's perception or thoughts of you, how do you actually feel? 
if you feel you would benefit from a fitness routine, how can we make that happen? If you feel you could benefit from more sleep at night, how can we make that happen? So it's within ourselves as the women in the household of, as the mother of the children, we need to evaluate that for us. He can't tell us how we should feel or act just as our parent can't, our neighbor can't, our boss can't. That has to come from within. So I think separating what his view may be with what you actually feel and then finding the solution from there. Cool. That reminds me, I remember when you and I first talked, you, um, you brought up about, because I asked a question, and I'll see if you remember this. I'm sure you did because you're an excellent listener, listener or else you'd be horrible at your job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I brought up about how do you feel people are dealing with the, the stereotype or the aura that surrounds going to a mental health counselor? And your response was, well, you'd be surprised. It's not actually the people coming to me. It's the other people in their lives. Do you want to touch on that a little bit more? Yes. Yes. You have a good memory too. See, you're not a bad listener yourself. Yeah. That's what I find. Oftentimes the person that's engaging in the counseling process is excited to be there. They're hopeful. They're coming because they recognize something and they have a hope to feel better. And sometimes it might be their spouse or their parent, depending on the age of the client, that's skeptical. And so the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. If they continue to come see me and take out the time in their schedules to do that, and then their spouse sees positive changes in the house, there's a ripple effect. If I change, I send a positive ripple through my household. He's going to be riding that wave. And hopefully it's for the better. And so then he's going to come to realize and see like, oh, okay, that 45 minutes she's taking for herself. She's calmer when I walk in the door or she's more relaxed at night and we can enjoy a television show. Her self-esteem is improved. And so we don't necessarily have to have a formal conversation about it. Usually it's just the changes that she begins to make within herself ripple through the household. And that's all the proof you need that there is a benefit to the mental health counseling. Mm -hmm. So along with that, so what happens? And I know you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I know from my research in the, the psychology realm is it's not so much. And this is what always, you know, pisses us off as if we're the patient is we always want answers, but it's not about the answers. It's about giving the tools to create your own answer. So for, let's say there's a mom out there who they want what you described. They want that positive ripple, but as soon as they walk in casting that wave, there's a wall there of a husband or even their kids. Cause even with kids, I mean, this becomes a thing that kind of stops that wave what kind of tools or implementations you kind of recommend for those scenarios? Yeah. Change is hard. So change is hard for the person that's making the changes, but it's hard for the people that have to ride that ripple effect, if you will. And a lot of times we see this with the older age kids, the teenagers that are living in your home, like, hold on, mom, what do you mean? We're not having our phones at the table anymore. We always have our phones at the dinner table. Well, not anymore. And here's why. So I think that we aren't coming into your your homes, making all these changes and flipping everything upside down for no 
no reason. So I think as as the woman can say, here's why we're not having phones at the table, because I'm going to hear how was your day? What was the best thing that happened to you today? What made you sad today? And then as the kids start engaging in that dialogue and that change, resistance goes away because they can see the benefit. Same with the spouse. The resistance to change is natural. It's different. It's hard. It's unknown. We're not sure how this is going to play out. And then if she can say consistent, they come to expect that from her and everyone sort of just rides along with it. Consistency and willingness really goes a long way. I love that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so true too. It's, it's like building a habit, right? Yes. And, um, yeah. And, and that's because consistency too. I mean, uh, we always talk about, and I'm sure you could go further into this, but habits, whenever are, you know, cause people, people have a false perception of what willpower is. People think that will, you know, if you go past the cookie table at a Pittsburgh wedding and, uh, and you don't grab a single, um, Buckeye or whatever, you, people say that you have willpower. And despite what people think, willpower is actually not, I mean, it is, it, it, it is existence, but not really. And what it really boils down to is, is the habits that we kind of ingrained. You want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of take this through the side door. And, and what I do with my clients is I ask them, what's the reason why? Your reason why you want to make this change really steers the ship. And so I want to feel better about my body. That's why I'm saying no to that Buckeye on the table. It's not because I vowed off sugar for the rest of my life. It's because I'm working towards a goal. My why is bigger than my behavior in that moment. So your why really shapes all of this. And going back to the previous um, comment we were just talking about is if we explain our why to our household, we could all get behind that. Uh-huh. So we want to connect better as a family. That's why we're not having technology at the dinner table. You can't refute that. You can back that. So finding out the motivation of the woman and finding out, like having her write it out. What's your reason why? Why is this important to you? What will this mean in your future? When you picture yourself one year from now, how will you look different? How will you feel? Who will be around you? What kind of clothes will you be wearing? That's what motivates you, if you will, or gives you the willpower to walk past the cookie table, to say no to technology at the dinner table, to say yes to self-care. Whatever it is, there's a reason why that's important to you. And I really help women delve into that during our counseling together. Cool. I, so I like that. I, and again, this, this is the rabbit holes that we expect to go down here. But um, I really like where you went with that. And I want to, you know, kind of follow you through the side door, if you will, on that one. So one thing that I always bring up with, so the way our process works is when people come in, they have eight weeks to get their feet wet. And then we like talk to them after that eight weeks, just to really, cause you see, you do see a transformation here. And one thing I always see, and I always mention to them is the goals they had when they walk through the door are typically not the same goals in the eight weeks. And a lot of that is because they find their why within that process. They realize that 20 pounds, like losing 20 pounds is not the important thing or, you know, being able to lift a weight off the floor isn't necessarily the important thing. There's always like another faucet to that, that like helps them, so, you know, 
without people taking eight weeks into a program or really having to dive through a, you know, a counseling session, what are your, what kind of tips do you have or strategies do you have with people to help them find their why? Because for you and I, that's kind of easy because this is what we do, but for some people finding their why can be very difficult. Yes. Yeah. I do see that a lot too. And I always start with values. If they're not really sure what their reason why is, tell me what you value. And sometimes I tell them to Google it, Google a value, do Google values and all of these traits and qualities will come up. If you can circle a few of those, let's talk about them. Like what you value tends to shape your reason why. So whether it's financial security, a good relationship with your kids, um, a good body image, like good health, what is something that you value? The reason why is usually buried in there somewhere. Uh-huh. Cool. Yeah. One thing, you know, and, and we kind of touch on what too with people is if they have trouble finding their values, we take them into a question of what are three things that pisses you off the most? I love it. And typically with that, you can kind of find a reason to where their like what, where their value is. Yep. Absolutely. That's a good one. I'm taking that one. <laughs> I trademarked it. You can, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. So you mentioned in there too about, you know, self-care and self-care has come up quite a bit. How would you, so like self-care, especially in now with the self-help world, self-care is a very, is, is quite a buzzword. Um, and there's a lot of different variations out there, out there. How would you specifically define self-care? I agree with you completely. And so my definition of self-care is really anything you can do for yourself to feel good and recharge. And this is just a way for us to either maintain or improve our overall health, whether it's physical or emotional. This doesn't have to be fancy. And I think that's what social media or Pinterest does, right? We don't need a bubble bath with candles and fancy music. We just might need a hot shower. You know, it doesn't need to be a spa day. It could be a book in bed. So self-care does not have to cost money. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It could be 15 minutes sitting in my driveway, in my car, in silence, because that's what I need right now. That is self-care. That's funny you say that. So Claire, she's one of our coaches. She is actually in school right now um, to be a, um, a behavioral therapist. And it's funny because she actually, because I really want to get her take on this because she's kind of in the weeds of it now, in the weeds of learning. And she brought this question up and she voiced the concern and frustration that, you know, self-care doesn't have to be putting cucumbers over your eyes and, you know, taking a bubble bath or whatever, you know, there's like all of this stigma around what it has to be. So it's very interesting that you actually said that because it, it brings that point home of like what women think self-care is to, compared to what it actually is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, the comparison trap for women is tough. And whether it's body image, the way we parent, the way we do self-care, and it is what it is. And we just have to make it a priority and set the intention to, to get it started. What I encourage my clients to do is just grab 15 minutes a day. That's a starting point. Self-care could take as little as 15 minutes a day. You can find the time for that if you're intentional about it. 
And then we build from there. There's value in coffee dates. There's value in dating our spouse. There's value in the spa day, painting with a twist, whatever your cup of tea is, there's value there. But that's not always reality. Sometimes all we get is 15 minutes and that's okay. That's self-care. Why, why do you feel that moms, so you mentioned about recharge. Why do you feel that moms, especially, but women in general, why they have such a difficult time with recharging or even self-care? I feel like a lot of times there's the perception that there's not enough time, like to be a good mom. I should, there's the should my air quotes here. You should be with your kids 24 seven. You should do all of these things, but that's, that's just not true. And especially for women that work outside of the home, they feel like I just put in eight hours away from my child by the time I cook dinner, do bedtime routine and all of that, it, they don't feel like they deserve to take those 15, 20 minutes away from the time their child should have with them. They've already been outside of the home. But what I, what I challenge that with is you cannot pour from an empty cup. Our kids want us to be happy and healthy. Uh-huh. To be happy and healthy, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to fill our cup in order to pour out during that bedtime routine or during dinner time with our preteens where they really need our focus and our attention for these like tough questions or tough situations they bring to the dinner table. If we're empty because we didn't take care of ourselves, we're not going to hear them. We're not going to be engaged during story time. So I challenge that, that it's an irrational thought. That's the root of it is it's irrational to think that you have to give all of your at-home time to your child, no matter their age. That's just not possible. Yeah. It's you mentioned- the tribe of people. So delegate to the tribe so you could have 15 minutes to yourself. You mentioned deserve there. Where do you feel like that comes from? I think partly social media is to blame here. We see the highlight reel of everybody else and we feel like, you know, maybe we don't work hard enough. We don't deserve that time. So thinking of both sides of the coin, stay at home moms and working moms feel differently about this because of the way their time is allocated and because of the way their time is perceived. So I think social media helps us in a, in a negative way to feel as if we don't deserve it. We didn't do enough today. We're behind on the laundry. That's where our focus needs to be. We didn't cook that healthy meal that we should have. So why would we take time for ourselves if we can't even cook a meal? And we just go down this, rabbit hole of self-defeating thoughts that, that just aren't true. Uh, good segue there. So you kind of already touched on it about why, you know, about social media and how it does affect moms. Where do you feel? I mean, where do you feel like this kind of stems from though? I mean, you know, social So for instance, again, we have middle-aged women here and social media hasn't really been, you know, for, for people like you and me, social media has been at least half of our lives. Or like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the whole internet, Google, social media, like that's been kind of half of our lives. But for them, it's hasn't, it's maybe been a quarter of their lives. So, and this has obviously been a struggle for them before social media. So where do you feel like the struggle before and then the struggle of social media really ties together to create that, that shouldn't or should or guilt or whatever, you know, insert adjective here. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I think before social media, we were still engaging with each other 
whether it be on the ball field, at drop-off line at preschool, like we still see and engage with each other in a face-to-face fashion. And I think it's it's happens there too. It happens at the bus stop. Oh, so-and-so didn't even put on her jeans. Like she wore yoga pants to the bus stop. So women tend to look at the silliest of things, not to put the other woman down necessarily, but to put themselves down. And so I think that's where it came from before social media was just those face-to-face interactions on the ball field, at the bus stop, at church, trying to get your kid in, into the Sunday school room or, or what have you. Um, we just compare ourselves to other people and it's usually to our detriment. And then social media comes along and everyone posts their highlight reel and it makes us feel worse. Like, oh man, like look at them and their family photos or their matching clothes or, you know, they have an iPad and we don't have an iPad and we could pick up on anything that we allow ourselves to focus on. Cool. All I heard there was you blame yoga pants. Hey, I love yoga pants. I'm not knocking <laughs> the yoga pants. <laughs> That's great. Now, I so something, something there kind of sparked and a, a question I kind of want to go a little bit of a side again, we'll go through the side door again here. Um, so with that, you know, you mentioned about talking to other moms talking, you know, whether it's in the school parking lot at church at a sporting event, what about, do you feel like it ever comes from a top down? Do you ever feel like it comes not just from themselves, but maybe from their moms or who raised them? Do you ever feel like that's an, an instance? I'm, I'm really yeah. diving down, down, diving yeah. down a stronghold here, but that's okay. It happens. We are a product of our environment and we are a product of our own upbringing. And I think what I have found by the time women become mothers themselves, generally they carve their own path. Uh-huh. So while that does have an impact, um, I see this in families where maybe you were raised that you do wear your Sunday best or that you do keep your emotions inside and we don't tell our secrets. Those are harder chains to break. But generally speaking, by the time women have their own children, they think to themselves, I'm not going to repeat that. Or I hated that. I'm going to do it differently with my family. Yeah. Very cool. So staying on the mother path. So how do you feel like social media has affected moms with their own kids? This is something something you brought up to me and I kind of want to dive a little bit farther down it to get your take on it. Yeah, that's a heavy one. So again, it's the highlight reel, right? So if you have an, an infant and you're posting milestones, like my baby is crawling, my baby's rolling over and I have a baby of the same age, I'm instantly thinking, oh my gosh, I didn't do tummy time enough. I didn't get this opportunity enough. My kid's not crawling and he's one month older. And, and then we start Googling, like at what age is it developmentally appropriate to crawl? And it snowballs into this thing that isn't a thing. So I think we do it with milestones. We do it with academic performance, with athletic performance. So we as moms want the best for our kids. And when we're seeing other kids thriving, our automatic response happens to be like, what did I do wrong? Why isn't my kid getting straight A's? Why didn't my kid make the A team? And it's, it's not helpful. And then we put these expectations on our kid. Well, Johnny made the A team. You're not practicing hard enough. You're not listening to the coach. None of that's true. Mm-hmm. Our kids are different sure. and that's okay. 
And so I think we fall into the comparison trap again, when we're looking at social media with our kids, but we do it to ourselves as well, which we sort of already touched on, like our self-worth, our self-image can get wrapped up in what we're seeing in others on social media as well. Now, the compare, so this is where me as a guy, this is where I struggle. So the comparison trap, and you've mentioned that a million times, you know, a, 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 great amount of times throughout this. And I completely agree with you there. I wonder though, sometimes is how do you feel the comparison trap? We obviously, you know, you have, you have two camps of parenting. Um, Ryan, it's funny. Ryan's wife actually uses, I don't know if you ever heard this before, but like the silky mom versus the crunchy mom. Mm-hmm. So for people who don't realize what that is, like the silky mom is the mom who's very, you know, like the modern up to date with all the tech, type of mom this is the mom you think of who is uh at home mo- like stay at home mom wealthier is typically a look you know and then they're the, the the one you mentioned about who like shows up she's just all like all happy all go lucky and then the crunchy mom is more of the you know she works she makes her own this does her own that um you know, she's the one that breastfeeds while the silky mom is the one who formula feeds, like, you know, doesn't use as much tech. Anyhow, before I get on that, that stupid hole there. But um, with that, do you feel like the comparison can also be healthy? Because you also, you don't want to compare. But then again, we have this thing nowadays where it's like, oh, you know, as long as you try, that's all that matters, you know, and this is where people, like the poo poo on our generation because they feel like we give trophies to our kids. Well, it's, you know, to every kid and that's not necessarily the case, but you know, there has to be some sort of level of competition. So where do you feel like that's healthy and where do you feel like that kind of falls off the rails? Yeah. I love that. I look, because we can look at somebody who is maybe doing it more efficiently than us and say, okay, what is she doing that I'm not? And how can I take that and grow and learn from it? that's where it's healthy. So I think that we can work together. And this, this kind of turns into our friend circles too, right? So if the mom at the bus stop makes her own applesauce, and I want to do that, I could, I could say, Hey, I saw you posted that over the weekend. Do you have a recipe you can share with me? Mm -hmm. So I might be in that moment comparing myself like, Oh, I don't make my own applesauce. But then when I'm face to face with her, I get to say, can you share that with me? So it does encourage me to grow and try a hobby or an interest that maybe I wouldn't have done otherwise. So yeah, I do think there's a spot for comparison in a healthy way when it pushes us to do better, try something differently, if that's something we want for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we all shouldn't go make our own homemade applesauce, but if I want to, I should definitely push myself to do that. And it might've stemmed from me seeing somebody else do it on social media. Cool. I like that. In, a, in, a, in addition to that, what are other techniques or strategies that you feel like moms could use? Because obviously, like, social media is all around us. And I would love, like, I'm, I'm pretty good with that stuff, but I would be lying if I sat here and I said that I don't see a picture of, people will laugh because this is, but if I don't see a picture of the rock and it makes me like, ah, why am I not, why do I not look like that? Or whatever kind of comparison trap you want to use. What are techniques that moms or anybody really can use when it comes to social media to limit that comparison trap and make it more of a constructive type of 
you know, make it more of a constructive tool than a criticism tool. Yeah, this is, this is good. And one of the things I advise is control your feed. If some certain person rubs you the wrong way or makes you feel bad about yourself, unfollow them, silence them. So fill your feed with what builds you up. If you like health and wellness, fill your feed with that. If you like things about childhood, parenting, preteens, fill your feed with that. You, it's yours. It's your social media page. You could unfollow, block, leave any group that is not fulfilling to you. But to take it a step further is how are you doing your social media? Are you just posting your highlight reel or are you keeping it real? So are you showing only the good or are you showing the bowl of cereal that fell on your clean floors this morning? And then what are you, how are you engaging? Are you cheering people on? Are you building people up? Are you making connections? Or are you the person that gets behind the screen and you're bashing others or you're taking what you saw on social media and you're gossiping about it? None of that's going to be healthy and constructive, but you could choose the, the first part of that, which is build each other up, likes, loves, shares. Like there are ways to use social media for good. And don't forget our kids are watching. If our kids are on social or our kids have accounts, they're watching our engagement. They can get behind the screen and be a bully just as easily as we can. And we don't want that. So we have to model a different way. Yeah. Screw you, Karen. Unfollow. Exactly. (laughs) That's great. Very cool. So um, you know, you continue to talk about building healthy relationships. Now we've, we've actually had members here that one of the reasons that they come is because they want to try to build healthy relationships with other people. Um, you know, they realize that they're not, you know, they have their drinking crowd or, you know, as my sister puts it, you know, as you get older, like it's tough to find, you know, good, good friends are tough to come by, you know, so you kind of have to like implement yourself into a circle. How do you, you know, what do you recommend for people who want to try to find those healthy relationships, but it gets a little bit tougher nowadays, especially with kids, because you worry more about your kids being happy. So who their friends are. So what are ways that they can do to build those healthy relationships with others? Yeah. First and foremost, you need to be the friend you want to have. If you want somebody that's trustworthy, dependable, honest, you have to be those things. So it starts with you. And then sometimes I just say, you have to put yourself out there. So if there's a girl in the fitness class that really kind of has your eye in terms of you like her lifestyle, you like her attitude, you like her perspective, ask her out for coffee. After, it's like dating, right? Ask her out I was for just coffee say, after sounds the class. exactly like dating. But you got to do it. You got to put yourself out there or um, send that first text, drop a card in the mail if you know their address. If you want good, valuable friendships, friendship is a verb. It's not a noun. A friend is not a noun. It's a verb. You have to act a certain way and put that energy out there in order to have that reciprocated and then feed it. Relationships are work. Marriages are work. Parenting, those relationships are work. We can't sit back and expect them to happen to us. We have to engage in that process. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it is. It's funny, you know, as you as you get older, reach putting yourself out there becomes harder. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just that we're afraid to make fools of ourselves. 
but it definitely seems like it gets harder as you get older, which is funny because I feel like your give a crap level should go down, but it doesn't seem to. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it gets, I think we know that there's fear and vulnerability. We know that we could get hurt or rejected. So having that awareness gives us the hesitation to reach out. Whereas before that fear of vulnerability might not have been there. Yeah. Very cool. So I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here. This is a question I didn't give you, but um, you know, one, one of our values here at inner strength is showing our, showing the scars as coaches, as trainers, we feel like everyone thinks we're perfect and people probably come to you and think, Oh, she probably got all, all of her stuff together. She, she has this all figured out. What do you feel like are like three big areas that you've kind of struggled with, with the information, you know, but as being a parent, as being a mom, as being a wife and all of that. Yeah, that's a good question. And I always tell my clients, I try to practice what I preach, or I say, it's easy for me to say this to you because I don't love your child. I don't love your spouse. So when my emotions aren't invested in that client's relationship, it's easy for me to say, try X, Y, and Z, but living it myself and my own family and my own relationships can be, can be challenging. So I think um, something that I push myself to do is vulnerability. If I want that vulnerable friendship, I have to be vulnerable in return. So that's something that's always on, on my radar. Um, another area is the shoulds. I am a should victim. I should do this. I should feel this. And if I don't, I tend to beat myself up a little more than I should see this, that yeah. word. Um, but th those are two areas that, that I have a mindfulness of in my own life. Uh -huh. Very, very good. Thank you for sharing that. Um, sure. Not always, not always easy for people to share that stuff, but yeah, it's funny you say that because it's like, we have kind of the two different aspects. I mean, we have the same aspect as far as profession, but as far as the husband wife part, we kind of have the different perspective there. So it's always interesting to hear. Cause I know for me personally, one, I mean, there's a lot that I struggle with truthfully. I mean, there's definitely a should factor. Um, should for me though, gives me the edge, but also like, if you don't meet the expectation, then there's the downfall, you know? So kind of managing that one thing I definitely struggle with, with my wife though, is you mentioned about the, at the very beginning about how we always try to solve things. What's also tough too, because me as a coach, I always, I, I solve problems all day for other women. So I think that whenever I go home, I have all of this in my pocket that I can solve it for my wife. However, like you said, you don't love, you know, you don't love their kids. You don't love their spouse. So it's easy. There's a non-biased, unemotional opinion there. However, whenever you go home and you have that knowledge, but then you also have the, the emotion and the bias behind it, whew, the, the torpedo that yeah. can come from that can make it difficult. So yeah, it's very it's interesting. Tough. Just remember, she didn't marry you as a coach. She married you as Tyler. So when you walk in that door, you're just Tyler. You're not coach yeah. anymore. Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's very interesting. Cool. Um, no, I love that. So to kind of like, bring this in for a landing. One thing that we believe here is that with the podcast is there's always three big takeaways that people, you know, because there's a lot of stuff here. 
people, I mean, there's a lot of things going on in people's minds right now, but it's really hard to implement lessons. So what are three big takeaways that you feel that people could use today, right now, that could help change their lives for the better? Okay, so three takeaways, three action steps. The first one would be making your needs a priority. Take today, after you listen to this podcast, and pencil one thing on your calendar. Is it 15 minutes to have coffee? Is it having a dinner date with your spouse? I don't care what it is, pencil it in, something that's gonna make you feel good and and recharge um, yourself. It needs to be, be a priority and be intentional. One way to do it, block off your calendar. It's gonna happen if you block it off. The second would be, be the type of friend you want to have. Look at yourself and those qualities. What do you want in a friend? Do you have those things yourself? So even just making a list, like here's what I want in a friend, take the first step. You might have some girls in your life or some guys in your life that you want to build a deeper friendship with. What I would challenge you to do is take that first step, send the text, drop a card in the mail, invite her over for coffee, do something, put an action behind your desire to build that friendship. The third thing would be make one small change related to social media. Whether you're limiting your time, you're deleting an app, or you're changing the way you interact. Are you uplifting other people? Do it more. So that's those are my three takeaways. Make, make what you need a priority, be the type of friend you want to have and take action to do that and make one small change related to social media. So with a bonus here, and I was thinking, because this is kind of the first thing that came to my mind. So I'm like, I know somebody out there is thinking this. So what is your response to someone who has that little voice in their head that says, but Robin, you have no idea what my life is like. You have no idea what I'm going through right now. What is your additional response to them in, in regards to those three action steps? Go back to your reason why. You might not have that much time. I don't know what's going on in your life. So the yes, but, yes, I hear you, Robin, but we need to go back to your reason why. Why is it important to you? That's how we combat that yes, but. Your reason why gets to trump that. You are worth 15 minutes. Make it happen. I could just end the podcast right here. Very good. Robin, thank you so much. Uh, So much from this. Me personally, I mean, I gained so much from this, but I'm sure somebody out there, everybody out there is going to listen to this and just think, damn, so much wisdom. So if people want to learn more, if they want to seek more from you, where can they find you? Yeah, the best way would probably be via email. You could shoot me an email. It's my name, Robin, R-O-B-I-N at betterinstitute.com. I'm also on social media at Better Moms Unite. So you could find me on Facebook or Instagram. Um, The Better Institute has an excellent website. There's a button right on there that you can connect with me. So if you um, check out the Better Institute, you could find me there as well. Awesome. So uh, just to kind of reiterate, what all services do you offer, Robin, for anyone who's like really thinking to dive down that road more? Yeah. So I do individual counseling. I always um, love the opportunity to come alongside any, any woman on her motherhood journey or just for whatever life has thrown at you that you want some extra support working through. So I do individual counseling. I offer a group for uh, mothers of all ages. We meet the first and the third 
Thursday of every month we meet virtually. So literally you could join us from anywhere um, in your car, from your bedroom, from your office. Um, I have women connecting from, from all over. Um, if you want to join in on Better Moms Unite on some Thursday evening, we're actually meeting tonight. Um, I don't know when this will air, but shoot me an email. I would love to add you to our guest list. You could connect with me there as well. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Robin. And that is a wrap for today. So the Healthy Pit and Frame Free Frogcast is brought to you by Inner Strength Health. We are a um, all things under one health coach facility where we specialize in both physio, small group personal training, individual personal training, nutritional consult, and also health coaching as well. Uh, we are located at 203 Hershinger Road in Robinson, actually Coriopolis, but really it's Robinson, um, Pennsylvania on the west side of Pittsburgh. We also have a new location woo, at 108 Commerce Drive in Lawrence, Pennsylvania. That is South Hills. Uh, in the west, we are also the western location for case-specific nutrition. They are a company who has actual certified degree degreed dietitians and credentials who can help you through all of your medical as well as regular dietary sports needs as well. Thank you again to Robin Witt from the Better Institute for joining me today. Ugh, fired up and brains, brains going right now. So um, thank you everybody and have a beautiful day.